You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Cade Young. This is the WFHB Local News for Thursday, June 15th, 2023. Later in the program, we have Voices in the Street, public opinion polls in the streets of Bloomington, produced by WFHB's Youth Radio. More in the bottom half of our program. Also coming up in the next half hour, we have a new installment of the WFHB Sports News Briefing. More following today's feature. But first, your State House Roundup. From WFHB, this is the State House Roundup for Thursday, June 15th, 2023. I'm Brooklyn Lambright. Former Vice President and Indiana Governor Mike Pence launched his presidential campaign on Wednesday, June 7th. Pence, who was criticized by some Republicans for his decision to call the National Guard on pro-Trump rioters on January 6th, began his presidential bid with a criticism of Trump. Pence said, quote, I believe anyone that puts themselves over the Constitution should never be president of the United States, and anyone who asks someone else to put them over the Constitution should never be president of the United States again, end quote. Pence also criticized Trump on his lack of pro-life legislation and an overall abandonment of conservative values. Although Pence largely criticized Trump in his opening speech, he says he will support whichever candidate the GOP nominates, even if it is Trump. Pence also stated that Trump should not be indicted for the documents found at Mar-a-Lago. The state of Indiana has received nearly $21 million from the U.S. Department of Transportation's Federal Railroad Administration. The grant will allow Indiana to make railroad crossings safer by improving the time trains spend stopped at intersections. Stopped trains make it dangerous for people to cross the railroad, forcing some to crawl over the rail cars. Stopped trains are also prone to moving without warning. U.S. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg said, quote, Every year, commuters, residents, and first responders lose valuable time waiting at blocked railroad crossings. And worse, those crossings are too often the site of collisions that could be prevented, end quote. The grant will provide money to five different areas of Indiana, including Hammond, Gary, Cherville, Peru, and Wells County. The Biden administration is giving nearly $570 million nationwide to improve railroad safety. On Wednesday, June 7th, the Indiana State Board of Education approved a motion that will give K-12 teachers more flexibility in what they teach. The new academic standards are 33% more concise. This means teachers won't have to worry about meeting quite so many state academic standards and will also allow teachers more creative direction over their classroom's learning. Indiana State Education Board member Scott Best said, quote, When we talk about our teachers across the state, giving them more freedom within their classrooms to teach in the way they feel is the best way to teach and not have a thousand things to try to cover and check off is incredibly important, end quote. The board plans to focus on refining state standards regarding PE, fine arts, STEM, and early learning. The board will also provide professional development before the start of the next school year to update teachers on the new academic standards. That's all for the State House Roundup. For WFHB News, I'm Brooklyn Lambright. On June 5th, at the Bloomington Redevelopment Committee meeting, Director of Housing and Neighborhood Development John Zodi 
gave the director's report. As of our next RDC meeting on June 20th, we'll have a new assistant director in the department. So her name is Anna Killian Hansen. She's a uh, Bloomington native realtor, uh, owns a business here with her family. And so she's coming on uh, June 12th. So we're excited. We will then be at full staff uh, here at hand. So we're excited about that. And you know, it's, uh, it's uh, getting into the busy summer. We just want to remind the public to mind your weeds and grass and make sure everything's cleaned up appropriately. But uh, other than that, we are in the thick of um, HUD uh, stuff. So we have two audits that we are in the middle of. I want to thank the hand staff for all their work on those. It's a lot of gathering paperwork and files. And uh, so we're right in the middle. We're ending one. We ended one last week. We're beginning one this week. So we'll be done with those in the next few weeks. And we'll find out the results uh, later in the summer. And uh, still waiting on results for our plans we've submitted that you all have offered feedback on. So it's a busy time in hand as always. Committee member Deb Hutton asked when they expect to hear back from HUD or the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development about the grants HAND applied for. Zodi responded. Mr. Zodi, have we heard, do we have any inkling when we'll, HAND will hear back from, um, I think it's HUD, about the um, public service and uh, physical, physical improvements and social service grants? Amount, exact amounts that we're going to be allowed to grant out? We actually uh, got those. Uh, earlier, uh, I think February 27th was the date we found out the exact amounts. So those, right, and we went to council the next night, I think. That's a, I don't know that we ever circled back with you guys on that. Um, so when you get the, the next thing that will come to you are the funding agreements. So what happened, we got the numbers early this year. So um, yeah. I think the letter is dated February 27th. The next night we went to the council and everything was already prepped and we said these numbers are going to tweak a little bit. So we ended up getting less CDBG money, Community mm -hmm. Development Block Grant, uh, because the formula changes. Mm -hmm. And what was awarded last year, we we used some, we carry for, carry, carried forward some money that had been sitting in the the uh, pot, if you will, that yeah. we hadn't, that had been unused or carried that forward. So we actually will have awarded quite a bit less this year. Mm -hmm. As far as what we got as a grantee from the federal government, the formula, there are more grantees. Mm -hmm. And so the ratio changed and we actually signed on a letter to um, urge Congress to increase the amount of CDBG money. And we actually got about uh, $60,000 more in home investment partnership dollars. Mm -hmm. So the numbers are eight, Hundred fifty-five thousand for CDBG, eight sixty-eight, I think, and then six hundred forty-two thousand seven hundred nine dollars in home money are the numbers off the top of my head. Later, the commission discussed an agreement with U3 Advisors for Owners Representative Consultant Services for Hopewell. Vice President of JS Held Deb Kuntz presented on the contract with U3 Advisors. We are recommending the contract. Um, a B for 24 months for $478,000. It would be for that 24 month period. In the contract packet, if you, um, as you read through the details, you probably noticed on exhibit B, which I think was page 13 of the document, there was an extensive breakdown of the different types of work they would have, including uh, work that's associated with, uh, they're calling phase one, but it's really our blocks eight, nine, and 10, um, of which there are some proposals on the table for. And then um, the next site, which would be blocks one, two, and three, and then with four, five, and six, and seven. Committee member Cindy Canarney asked if U3 Advisor would prioritize using local developers. I don't know that I ever maybe got the full answer or understood the answer, but 
Um, I'm curious about um, U3's commitment to engaging local developers and local partners. Um, obviously, I think that's incredibly important as, as we move forward on such a you know profound community endeavor. So could you speak to that, please? I'd be happy to. I mean, I can't think of a an engagement where we've been involved in developer procurement where we have not uh, reached out intensively local developers in any given market. To me, one of the keys to success is to have a mix. I think it's essential that we have the local players who know this market, who have proven experience, you know, negotiating transactions with the city and with the state. I also think it's important, though, to look outside the municipality, to look statewide, to look regionally, um, in order to create as much momentum and excitement and sense of competition amongst the developer respondents as possible. But 100%, uh, we'd be completely committed to engaging local developers that have the right expertise and experience in this kind of development. So can you speak more specifically on how you'd go about doing that? How we go about finding those developers? Yes. Yeah, I mean... Especially I think, locally. Uh, yeah, I think that, um, first of all, information today, particularly in the real estate market, is really transparent. And so I think that um, it will not be hard for us to identify those developers that have been active in the market over the last several years. We'd also, of course, you know, turn to, to you, to Deb, to others uh, among the stakeholders in this engagement to be sure that we are... Um, you know, touching on all of the right, including all of the right and appropriate uh, developers that have been active in this market. Um, but I think that with a little bit of desktop research and talking to all of you, it will not be hard to identify the folks that have historically been active in this market. Kinarni asked if they could include a quarterly reporting requirement for U3 advisors to report to the Redevelopment Commission. Yeah, I think, I think it would be important, again, because of the the high profile nature of the project to have, um, you know, a maybe quarterly update from U3 at one of our REC meetings so we can understand what the progress is. Because it looks like in the document there's quarterly milestones identified in there. So it'd be wonderful to make sure that we're staying on, on track of what's working, the timelines, et cetera, and, and, you know, look at that on a routine basis. Stern said they are happy to provide quarterly reports. The committee voted to approve the agreement with U3 advisors. The next Bloomington Redevelopment Committee meeting will be held on June 20th. In today's feature report, we have Voices in the Street, public opinion polls in the streets of Bloomington, Produced by WFHB's Youth Radio. In today's edition, Youth Radio speaks with attendees of the 2023 Grand Falloon Festival. We turn now to that segment. So this is WFHB Youth Radio. Um, I'm DJ Iris. And I'm DJ Ezra. 
And we're here at Grand Falloon, and we're about to go interview some people for interviews on the street, voices on the street. Stay so, tuned. Yes, yeah, stay tuned. The Grand Falloon Festival is an annual event by the IU Arts and Humanities Council. It is inspired by legendary Hoosier author Kurt Vonnegut. What do you know about Kurt Vonnegut? Or like, what do I know? know? I know he's awesome. I just finished his one of his books called Dead Eye Dick, nice. and it's uh, definitely one of my favorites. But my favorite is Sirens of Titan, and I first read Vonnegut in school, Slaughterhouse Five, like a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. So I have a PhD in English, and I. No, which I say not because it's really as fancy as it sounds, but because I do know a few things about Kurt Vonnegut. And if I were to point anybody in a Vonnegut direction, I would point them towards God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater. It's a long title and it's not easy to remember, but in my opinion, it's probably his best. Uh, He was from Indiana, Uh, an amazing (laughs) author. Uh, What do I know about him? His dad was an architect and his family was like full of architects and stuff and other people that did things. They were uh, German, big German family. Um, he wrote an amazing amount of books and you know wrote sci-fi and... Do you know Kurt Vonnegut? <laughs> Personally or? <laughs> like, like his books. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Love Kurt Vonnegut. To be honest, I know nothing about him. I, I've read about that dude. Um, <laughs> Like sometime yeah. this month, uh, so I can figure out like what Grand Falloon is all about. Uh-huh. Um, I don't really know what was the whole theme about until I researched them, and it seems pretty interesting. I've driven past his house up in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. I know people who lived in his house in Indianapolis. Uh, I read most of his books. His books are ago. amazing. Pardon me. His books are amazing. I think so, but it was kind of one of those things that you know it seems like he died off, just dropped off the face of the earth for a long, long time, and. Suddenly now, it's much more interesting. This um, this festival, Grand Falloon, is here to uh, like celebrate him. Right. That's the whole point. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite Kurt Vonnegut book? So, I am... Yes. To answer, <laughs> short answer is yes. Um, I can't say all of them, uh, although I'd love to. But my favorite, honestly, I, I like Cat's Cradle. And I like Slaughterhouse-Five. Slaughterhouse-Five is a little bit more common. We have it in a lot of our curriculums across the United States, right? But I like Mother Night because I have prior experience with the military, and Kurt Vonnegut was a prisoner of war during World War II. And Mother Night asks about the ethics of intelligence gathering um, and who does a spy really help, especially when they're a double agent. And so for me, I am a huge fan of spy fiction. I love it. I have so much John Lacar, uh, Lacroix, sorry. Um, but I have so much of that at home, um, and I, it's just kind of my happy place. Mother Night is all about the ethics of intelligence gathering. I would recommend The Sirens of Titan. It's okay. just so wild, and it's got space sci-fi and all these weird concepts and, yeah. and you know, civilization annihilation and the moon, and there's a lot of, a lot of wild stuff there. Nice, yeah. Great, so do you have a favorite book by him? You know, it changes. A lot of Kurt fans will tell you this. It kind of changes a lot. Um, the book he's most well-known for is Slaughterhouse-Five, of course. Um, and I just finished reading Cat's Cradle for the, the umpteenth time. So I like that book a lot. I think that a lot of people will give that as an answer, the Cat's Cradle. 
Oh, I'd probably say the normie stuff, like Slaughterhouse-Five or something. Uh, that's the only... I, 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 I've been meaning to read a lot more. This one's about player piano, right? Yeah, I've been... I, I really need to read player piano. Um, I've heard it's really good, but... Yeah. Yeah, I haven't read any of his books, <laughs> but I, I know of him. I read <laughs> Well, I've been a professional Kurt Vonnegut scholar for about 12 years. Um, I know a fair amount about him. My, uh, my favorite book is a pretty complicated question. Uh, Cat's Cradle was a book that I read in 2007 while living in Chicago and the economy was collapsing. And so reading a funny book about religion, weaponry, and the end of the world was very comforting, uh, depending on your sense of humor. Uh, I read Breakfast of Champions while studying history at Ball State. And uh, that book was really funny. Uh, as far as biases goes, like books that you love for reasons that may be suspicious, I'm a fanatical deadhead. Uh, so The Sirens of Titan was a book that Jerry Garcia had the movie rights to for a long time. Uh, so I'm very, very fond of that one as well. The Grand Falloon Festival brings people to Bloomington from all over. We wanted to know what exactly people came for and what they were most excited about. So what are you looking forward to at Grand Falloon? At Grand Falloon, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing some people around and checking out some of the music. Looking forward to Flaming Lips. I saw um, Daniel Villarreal last night at Orbit Room and he was amazing. His band was fantastic. Dude, Michelle. I love Michelle. Like the band Michelle. Um, I started listening to them like two years ago, um, and and like they, they were like my top R like uh, indie bands, uh, or like one of the first few bands that I listened to when I was coming or exploring that genre. I'm here just because I like seeing members of the community out and about talking to people. Uh, well, I, uh, I I didn't even know Grand Flume was happening today. I, I came down for a show last night, and I'm kind of just here hanging out. I'm going to see the Flaming Lips. Bless. I'm just opening up for them. I found out they're really sweet. I think that just happened. I don't know how that happened, but that band's awesome, so I'm stoked to go see them. I'm looking forward to see, seeing the concerts and all the live music. I love seeing live music. Well, to be honest, I am here to help with the Kurt Vonnegut Museum and Library. Of course, Grand Falloon is a word that Kurt Vonnegut made up. Um, in his book Cat's Cradle. So I was just really eager to come down here and bump into some other Kurt Vonnegut fans. And then of course I'm going to stay for the show later tonight, but I'm not here for the little artsy-fartsy little things, which are great, by the way, are fantastic, but I'm just here for the, for the Vonnegut nerds. I am one of the performers who acts with the big Kurt puppet, which is this, depending on who's wearing it, about 10-foot-tall papier-mâché uh, effigy of Kurt Vonnegut. Wow. Yes. Okay. That's. Can, it's always very fun. I always look forward to that because uh, he is the center of attention. Um, but I like people aren't looking at me; they're looking at him, and <laughs> and uh, I, I like that very much. He's going to come down the street in about mm, forty minutes or so. I don't know. I'm just here for the vibes. <laughs> so. I must admit that I came for the handmade market. Homemade crafts outside, just exploring the little art that people have made, seeing the creativity. It's just kind of neat. We're excited to see the Flaming Lips, but we are also excited for the, for the groups that are leading up to them. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll catch the rest of the development some other time. We were really excited, but we know that, they're, that their lead singer is not feeling great tonight. So. With so much going on in one weekend, we asked people to describe the atmosphere on Kirkwood during Grand Falloon. 
Can you tell us how the city feels today during the, the city? Yeah, um, I think the city really loves what's going on here uh, as a community artist advocate. Uh, like they encourage this type of stuff, uh, you know, so that everyone of all ages, all race and color and gender can appreciate. Uh, and also for us to come together as one. And I think it's, it's a need to have something like this so that we forget what's really going on in our everyday lives and our troubles. Can you tell us how the city feels today during the festival? My favorite way. This this is my this is my favorite time in Bloomington because there's this huge sense of community and everybody is like out here together at once in this really I don't know, it's really special. It's a really special time to have like all the major Bloomington stuff like kind of coming all together at once. The city today, this is such a cool feeling because it is like the levity of spring, the heat of summer, and the excitement of summer. People are out and they're excited to see the art, they're excited to interact with people who are local and in the community, but then also take a piece of it back with them, you know, if they're not from Bloomington. We're, we're from Indy, we love coming to Bloomington all the time, especially for the poetry and the writing community. But in going back to Indianapolis, we like to also take some of the, the arts and some of the, uh, we've done book sales that are here as well, and so we like taking those back with us. The artists here are top notch, it's amazing to watch. So uh, the mood, everybody's just chill. And that's, that's a very different phase than I'm used to, and I really love it. So we're really thankful to be here feels like, especially during the summer, it's just so quiet around here, and then all of a sudden it explodes during Grand Falloon. I don't know. Just I was not expecting to see so many people out, but yeah, it was fun. Yeah, it's really fun having all the different, I don't know, businesses and artists represented and different people coming in for it. I'd say it's pretty vibrant, pretty hot, pretty, I don't know, people are excited to be downtown. Yeah, we're having a good time chatting with people at the booths, and uh, we love that there's free water that is saving us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I love it. I love that Kirkwood shut down. We can walk walk all around. I, I think it's so much better when cars than, than when cars are just driving up and down the road. Now it's time for a new installment, the WFHB Sports News Briefing, produced by WFHB Sports Correspondent Leo Pies. From WFHB, this is Leo Pies with your Sports News Briefing. The NCAA Track and Field Outdoors Championship took place this past weekend, from June 7th through June 10th, at Mike A. Myers Stadium and Soccer Field in Austin, Texas. Indiana, Indiana State, Notre Dame, and Purdue all had competitors in the tournament. For Indiana, in men's pole vault jump, 
junior Nathan Stone placed 13th, clearing a height of 5.45 meters, and sophomore Tyler Corral placed 19th, jumping over a pole of 5.3 meters. Junior Noah Cock placed 21st in man's discos throw, with a distance of 55.4 meters. Sophomore Jaden Ulrich placed 14th in women's shot put, with a throw of 16.68 meters. And junior Paola Fernandez-Sola placed 9th in women's long jump, jumping 6.02 meters. For Gilder schools, Indiana State placed 18th in men's pole vault jump and 19th in women's triple jump. Notre Dame placed 7th in men's 5,000 meter run, 16th in men's shot put, 7th in men's javelin throw, 1st in women's 3,000 meter steeplechase, 10th in women's 5,000 meters run, 18th in women's high jump, and 7th and 12th in women's heptathlon. And Purdue placed 9th in men's triple jump. The IU women's basketball team announced the addition of Amber Smith as their new assistant coach this Monday, June 12th, in an Indiana Athletics release. Smith spent seven seasons with the Kentucky women's basketball staff, first as director of player development and then as assistant coach for the Wildcats. In her seven-year stint in Kentucky, she helped the team to four NCAA tournament appearances. I am thrilled that Amber is joining us in Bloomington. Amber is passionate, high energy, excellent at building relationships, and is the ultimate competitor that will fit in perfectly to our culture. We're excited that she has decided to become a part of our Hoosier family, IU women's basketball coach Terry Morin said in the press release. The opening in Morin's coaching staff appeared when Glenn Box departed for the head coach position at the University of Miami, Ohio's women's basketball earlier this year. At Indiana, Box spent three seasons as assistant coach and four as associate head coach. The Denver Nuggets won Game 5 of the NBA Finals 94-89 against the Miami Heat and are now the NBA champions for the first time in their history. Nuggets' Nikola Jokic finished with 28 points, 16 rebounds, and 4 assists, and was crowned Finals MVP. Jokic is now the first player drafted outside the top 15 to win both Finals MVP and regular season MVP. The Serbian also joins Magic Johnson as the only players to average a triple-double in series-clinching wins in a single postseason. The Heat's Cinderella run came to an end after facing exceptional performances by Jokic, Jamal Murray, and the rest of the Denver Nuggets. Denver did not face elimination once and lost only four games on the way to their first championship, ending a drought of 46 years, the longest a franchise had had prior to their first title in the NBA. From WFHB, this is your sports news briefing with Leo Pais. Support for the WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. 
MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Noel Herhusky Schneider in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Voices in the Street is produced by WFHB Youth Radio. The State House Roundup was produced by Brooklyn Lambright. The Sports News Brief was produced by Leo Pies. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. For WFHB, this is your engineer and executive producer, Cade Young. And I'm Benedict Jones. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at WFHB.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters, WFHB, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for Big Talk a one-on-one conversation with some of Bloomington's most fascinating people. Coming up next on WFHB. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB local news volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB local news archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB local news. We are local, longer, 